Hello, friends. I want to invite you to come join us for our first ever Theology in the Raw Exiles in Babylon conference, March 31st to April 2nd. At this conference, we are going to be challenged to think like exiles about race, sexuality, gender, critical race theory, hell, transgender identities, climate change, creation, care, American politics, and what it means to love, love, love your Democratic and Republican neighbor as yourself. Different views will be presented. Everyone will be challenged to think critically, compassionately, and Christianly through all kinds of different topics. We've got loads of awesome speakers that are going to be there. Thabiti Anuboile, Chris Date, Derwin Gray, uh, Ellie Bonilla, uh, Jackie Hill Perry, Evan Wickham, uh, John Tyson, Tony Scarcello, Sandy Richter, Kimi Katiti, Heather Scriba, Street Hymns, and many others will be joining us for the first ever Theology in the Raw Conference. All the information is in the show notes, or you can just go to pressandsprinkle.com to register. And I would recommend registering sooner than later. Space is limited. You can come and join us in person in Boise, or you can stream it online. Again, PressandSprinkle.com for all the info. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. My guest on the show today is Seda Collier, and I know basically nothing about Seda other than she is a trans woman who read my book Embodied and sent me a really awesome, kind email. And we had a couple of email exchanges, and I said, hey, would you like to have a conversation? Seda said, sure. I said, would you like me to record that conversation and throw it on my podcast? And she said, um... Sure, why not? So I am going to call Seda right now. I don't I know nothing, little to nothing about Seda other than just a couple of email exchanges. And so this is going to be uh, super raw um, in the sense that I have no clue how this conversation is going to go. But hey, we're just human beings getting to know each other. So please welcome to the show Seda Collier. I'm going to call her right now and you could uh, just listen in on our conversation, I guess. Here we go. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing really well. Let's see. I yeah, I had there okay. you are. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I had the wrong you you must have had an older Skype account because I, I it was a picture of you and I kept messaging and oh, it wasn't wow. the right one. And then I went through the email and plugged in your email address and it worked out. So Yeah. 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 I probably did. <laughs> it's early out there. Thanks for waking up to uh be on the podcast <laughs> and hang out yeah. and have a conversation. My pleasure. Yeah. Am I uh, Seda? Is that how am I pronouncing Seda. it right? Yep. Okay. Yep, that's right. Okay. Cool. Yep. Well, thank you so much for your kind email. I mean, that I um I do get a lot, and I I as you probably noticed, I don't have my email, my personal email, anywhere on the website or anywhere really, and uh, so oh, some emails never get to me. <laughs> uh, I just can't, you know. But then this one. Um, one of my assistants forwarded it to me and he's like, I think you might want to read this one. I'm like, oh my word. I was just so encouraged by it. And like, I don't know, it just seems so authentic and humble and wise. And I was like, man, I really want to get to know you. So yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. Uh, can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, can you, I don't Yeah. This is start. I mean, you, you probably know more about me than I do do about you. So as much as you would love to share, I'd love, I would just love to hear your story. And um, I'm, I'm sure that's a, could be a hour long <laughs> conversation, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, just let me check in real quick. Is, is the sound okay from my perspective? The sound looks great. Yeah. The only thing, okay. if you want to sure. um, lower, you're, you're lower on the screen than I am. So mate, let's either I can go, I can't really go lower because my chair, if you, there you go. That's perfect right there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Sounds great though. Um, good. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm a trans woman. Um, I 
transitioned in uh, 2007, basically. Okay. Um, and um, I don't know if you want to go back to the beginning from, you know, <laughs> child. Why don't we start? Well, why don't we start there? And I'm sure I'll have questions about kind of your upbringing and, and all that. But yeah, let's start with 2007 to, to now and then we'll go from okay. there. <laughs> Yeah, so so in, in 2006, really, um, I kind of hit a wall. Um, I'd been uh, struggling with some really serious gender dysphoria since 2003 um, and got therapy. I had two years of therapy for it, um, took care of all the background stuff that, you know, um, childhood issues and a, a substance abuse issues and and um, stuff like that. And um, finally, it was like, okay, I'm not getting any more out of therapy, so I stopped uh, getting, you know, stopped mm -hmm. therapy. Um, and I was married, had two kids. Um, my, my son, my first son was born in, in 2000, second in 2003, um, early 2003. So okay. young kids. Um, yeah. And... And really, I guess, I guess, kind of have to, to go to that moment in 2003 where I just realized that the, the, the stuff that I'd been dealing with since as long as I could remember, since, since you know, um, before entering school, um, was because I was a woman, um, and I'd been trying to be a man for all this time. You know, uh, joined the Marine Corps and, and commercial fishing and all this stuff, and, and really doing my best to do that. Then got married. Then you know, um, had kids, and all of a sudden it's like comes down. It's like, oh my god, you know. And um, it was this moment of of really. Um, almost euphoria for about two seconds, followed by this, oh my God, I have a wife, I have kids. Oh, yeah. These people depend on me. And and how am I gonna deal with this? You know, and that's that's where the whole thing right. where I started going into the um into the, the therapy, getting therapy. So you know, three years of that, um Started a new business. Real quick, um, were you talking with your wife about what was going on, or was all this very much just kind of kept inside? Or, um, it was. So in in two thousand three, when when that happened, yeah. um, I had to I had to okay. talk to her about it. Okay. Um, before I, then, you know, I I told her some of these things, you okay. know, like um. Um, I, I tried to share with her that I was really messed up, uh, <laughs> but, but it wasn't, um, I wasn't clear on why I was in denial basically. Um, and, and so, you know, she didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. It was, it was kind of, you okay. know, we just kind of pushed it into the background and okay. went on. Um, and, and then, um, so yeah, so um, then in in 2006, um, you know, I I'm working on my new business and and going along and and 
gradually this um, the the gender dysphoria, the loathing, the depression, mm -hmm. all of this stuff was getting worse and worse. I was getting more and more uh, suicidal, mm -hmm. um, reaching the point where where my day was basically um, occupied, or you know, my my internal world was was um, really planning suicide. Wow. Um, I was literally, you know, like, okay, you know, how my, I, I, I don't want my kids to have a legacy of their dad committed suicide. So how am I going to set this up so that it's like, it's a for sure I'm dead and, wow. and, and nobody thinks it's, it's anything except an accident. Okay. Um, wow. and okay, this is, you know, my, my family, you know, I was, I was the, 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 um, only, um, money earner at that point, Kristen was working harder than me, but, um, but she was taking care of the kids. In the yeah. household. <laughs> we all know how that goes. <laughs> does your wife work? Yeah. Yes. She raises the kids. Yes, and, yes she does. Yeah. She works. <laughs> yeah. She's not actually earning money from right. outside, but yeah, she's working harder than I am. <laughs> um, and um, so it was like, okay, how am I going to make sure that, that I have sufficient health insurance or a, a life insurance that's going to, you know, make it so that, oh, that yeah. she can, um, you know, get by until, until she can find a man. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and I just reached in, in August that year, I just reached the end of, of my rope and I, I told Chris and something has to change. I could not go on. Wow. Um, I had maybe, maybe two to six more months that I could have pulled it off. I don't think I could have lived another six months. I think I would have been dead. Can you, for, um, the, for people, I guess, like me who don't have a category, like what, is there, is there anything more concrete you could even give us to help us understand what was so like driving you to, to, to just constantly think about suicide? Was it like an internal angst? Was there societal, I don't know, shame or pressure, oh. you know, or all the above, or is it even hard to describe? I don't know. It, it's extremely hard to describe. Um, and, and I've never really seen anything that, that describes it adequately. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's it's like this this gender dissonance this mm -hmm. this um, internal conflict. Um, there was uh, what was it uh, um, MythBusters guys? Yeah, um, they did a piece on torture one time, and um, and then they were describing um, like this Chinese water torture thing and. Um, I saw an interview. I can I can share the link to you sometime. A, a YouTube interview um, where one of the guys from that was saying that after they'd done this piece, they got an anonymous um, email from somebody who said that that what they'd found was that um, if if you had a steady drop. Um, it almost became like a meditation and, and the, the person could ignore it. But if they randomized the drops within 24 hours, they had a psychic break. 
Wow. So it, it's like that. It's like um, um, I've heard gender dysphoria described as existential torture. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really good description of it. Um, actually, um, I, I like, I like um, do you know who Julius Rano is? Have you heard of yeah, Julius yeah, yeah, Rano? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whipping girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you read that? I, no, it's on the list. Uh, I heard it's an interesting read. <laughs> yeah, actually, I recommend it. Um, okay. But but it's like it's like this is a really good description that that could. Um, that, that, I mean, I could have written this. Uh-huh. Um, my gender dis uh, gender dissonance only got worse with each passing day, and by the time I made the decision to transition, my gender dissonance had gotten so bad that it completely consumed me. It hurt worse than any pain, physical or emotional, that I had ever experienced. What changed during that 20-some year period was not my desire to be female, but rather my ability to cope with my own gender dissonance. Mm. When I made the decision to transition, I honestly had no idea what it would be like for me to live as female. The only thing I knew for sure was that pretending to be male was slowly killing me. Um, wow. You know, and and yeah, I... I I can relate. That's, that's mm. like, I could have written that. Um, so, so this is what I'm going through at this point. And that's when Kristen was like, okay, you mm. know, let's get going on this. Let's go ahead and, and take the step. So, um, I, I got a new therapist, uh, Reed Vandenberg, um, in Portland. So I had to, I live in Eugene. So it was a 90 mile trip up to Portland. Um, to see him, but he specialized in, in uh, gender dysphoria and, and transgender issues. And so within a few meetings with him, he was like, yeah, you know, here, here's your letter to get hormones. Okay. Um, I started hormone therapy in, in 2007. And, and then um, in, in August of 2007 is when I um, – uh, Changed my name, changed marker on my ID, okay. and started living twenty four seven as a woman. I've been living as a woman ever since. Can you? Uh, yeah, I'm so super curious now. I mean, both the suicidality uh, and gender dissonance, as as you put it. How's that been since you transitioned? Um, it it got better. Okay, like as soon as I committed to transitioning, um things started getting better turning around. And, and one of the things that really, um, I think that really made a difference for me, there, there's, I mean, there's, there's so many things, there's so many different ways to, to talk about this. But one of the things that really made a difference was for, for me was that all of a sudden I was living in integrity. You know, I'd spent all this time living in this kind of like, like not, telling the truth about who I was trying to build up. So like, you know, demonstrate to the world and really validate to myself that I'm a man. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in, in 1960s in rural Wyoming, right. On a, on a cattle ranch. Um, oh, really? And wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, you know, the, the model of, of manhood that I saw was very, um, the word macho comes to mind, yeah. but I don't, I don't really like that. I don't think that's a good one, 
but it was a very, very definite um, model of, of uh, a certain kind of, you know, uh, masculinity where, where a man is, is like, you know, has the, the responsibilities and, and right, right. tough and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so that, that's kind of the model I was working off of. Um, and, and I knew from earliest, my earliest, you know, days that there was something wrong with me. Um, I didn't really know what it was. I mean, I could see that I was male, I, you know, had a penis and all this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, and, and, um, that was reflected back by everyone around me, Mm -hmm. um, including in the ways that I was ridiculed for doing things like throwing like a girl or running like a girl, (laughs) these kinds of things. So so you did, you did naturally act and resonate more with what we would call femininity, more feminine, culturally defined feminine things and interests from an early age or? Apparently apparently so. I mean, I, I think I would have been, had I been female, I think I would have been a tomboy. Okay. Um, okay. I, I very much was, was into doing things like, you know, uh, riding my steer. <laughs> more, that sounds course, pretty masculine. The, <laughs> yeah, you know? Um, and, and, you know, fishing and, and, um, stuff like that and, okay. and climbing trees, you know? So I was, I was really into that kind of stuff. Um, okay. I also enjoy, you know, playing with my sister, um, with, with her dolls sometimes, um, yeah. Barbies. And, and when she got into, into sewing for 4-H, I was really jealous that, that she could do that and I couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, I really enjoyed doing woodworking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, you know, and, and. And when it came time for branding, you know, I, I didn't want to be back there helping with the cooking. I wanted to be there, um, you know, wrestling the calves. And I wasn't the only girl who wanted to do that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, those Wyoming women, man. <laughs> I live in Idaho, so yeah, the the a lot of yeah, yeah. So um, where was I? Yeah, we're kind of um, so I, I the. I, the, the dysphoria and suicide ideation, you said that lesson, did it not completely go away? And were there, did it, were there waves or were there certain things that kind of triggered it or long-term did it come back or? Yeah. So, so what happened was, was as I transitioned, taking the hormones and, and, um, electrolysis to get rid of my beard and stuff. Um, and, and it, it felt a lot more congruent. Okay. Um, you know, and, and a lot more honest. So I was relating with people and, and, um, you know, it's not always easy because people weren't always reflecting that back to me. I mean, I okay. looked pretty awful and I had some, you know, um, experiences that were not that pleasant. Um, but, but it was, it was better. Um, and what, what kind of got, Worse than over the next, see, so 2012, so over the next five years was, um, was the physical part. Um, you know, so there were, there were things like, like because of the hormones, I was going breasts and, and that started, Oh, wow, that feels normal. (laughs) Yeah. 
but but I still had had my genitals and I could feel that. And in April of 2012, um, I started having these these anxiety attacks that were associated with the physical sensation. Um, and it was it was really intense. I had to take Xanax to control it. And and like for the you know from April 2012 until July um, 23rd 2013 when I had surgery, I I took Xanax everywhere I went. Wow. Um, you know I, I had I had my little bottle of Xanax because once these attacks started coming, I could not control them. I would. I mean, I, I would literally, you know, end up curled up in a corner in a fetal position. Mm. Just, uh, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, and that was more specifically rated yeah. to like body specific dysphoria, for lack of better terms. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and then July twenty third, twenty thirteen, I had surgery, and like the day after, you know, it's really uncomfortable. You know, I'm all hyped up on morphine. Um, I guess it's not hyped up; it's more like I'm all like draggy. Right? <laughs> 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 like, <ooh. laughs> and I'm like, I don't need the Xanax anymore. Huh. And I threw it out, and I knew I would never need it again, and wow. I've never needed it again. Wow. And no, why, why? Wait, why is that? Because you were um, on morphine now, or no, oh. no? I was on morphine for you know a day or two, um, and then you know I had some some pain pills and stuff for a while until I I uh, recovered. Um, and it, it's a long recovery period. I mean, that's a major surgery. Oh, oh, oh! So it's after the <laughs> surgery that the the anxiety went away okay yeah got it exactly okay. like the, like the day after it's it's like wow. it was like a hard break um and and um um i mean i mean for for at least five years after that after surgery i was like consciously just grateful mm. for that surgery yeah you know yeah. And I'm still grateful, but but now it's become more normal. You know, it's like yeah. almost like oh, I could take the, take it for granted, kind of thing. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's like huh. you know, um, I think I think one of the things that um, that that Christians a lot of times don't understand is is that yes, gender dysphoria is a killer. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, it's not a direct killer, but, but if you're trying to, um, um, deal with this thing that you can't do intense, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, um, yeah, it's not sustainable. I've, I've got a few friends, I mean, not, quite a few not friends that, that have necessary that way. What's that? Oh. Not that it's necessarily that way, right? right. I mean, it, it exists on a spectrum, exactly. on, a, on a wide spectrum. Exactly, yeah. From really mild to really severe. It's like autism yeah. spectrum disorder. You know, right. you have some that's really mild and you have some that's really severe where you're not even verbal. Um, and certain for me, things, it, it, was, it was bad. I've heard, I mean, certain things can trigger it too, right? Um, if it does, if it is coming in a way... I mean, the, the, I'm thinking of two people in particular, my friends, who it's just... 
it's a pretty steady high kind of it's kind of always there other people who it is more waves and there are certain mm-hmm. life events that or even comments or certain things that might trigger it you know one of my friends um biological female um goes by they them you know they they were having you know a bunch of uh, women over for like a women's bible study into their house (laughs) they said the anxiety was just through the roof she's like and they just imagined like all these you know women in pink dresses coming in with their teacups and it wasn't that you know but (laughs) you know just be just the thought of being in an environment a, a closed environment with just oozing with femininity was just like I mean, yeah, dysphoria just skyrocketed, you know, um, and yeah, the, the, yeah, um, it's just such a, it, it's, it's it, from what I've, I mean, read and heard, it's just, it, it, it's so mysterious almost like, it, I mean, the top scholars, it's like we're at the beginning stages almost still trying to understand it and like all the therapy in the world for some people doesn't seem to do anything. And I get that. I'm, I'm curious about that. Like that. On the therapeutic side, was there anything there that was helpful, things that um, were related to the dysphoria, or was it just this kind of separate category that's just like, this is not caused by anything specific, it's just there, I don't know why it's there, I don't know where it came from, or does therapy, did therapy help in any way? Or um, So so I'd had several different um, um, therapists and reasons for therapy. So that first initial two year um, period of therapy, um, I actually had two therapists. The first one was like, I got into some of the darker stuff that I was dealing with. And she was like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to refer you to somebody else. Um, So I went to the other one. um, And and that was really helpful. Um, I worked through a lot of stuff. And I think it's actually really important and I'm really grateful for that therapy because I dealt with all kinds of stuff from my childhood and, and, you know, substance abuse and, Mm. and, and, um, really dark fantasies and all kinds of stuff worked through all that and, and pretty much resolved it. Right. Mm -hmm. But it didn't do anything to the gender dysphoria. Got it. Okay. Right. So then, um, when I had, um, when I started having these anxiety attacks, I got another therapist who did work with, with transgender issues to try to help me deal with the anxiety attacks. It was a complete waste of time. Okay. Um, there was, it it wasn't about anything psychological so much. I mean, it was obviously the the anxiety is psychological, but it wasn't triggered by any kind of psychological or trauma event. It was triggered by my actual body. Right. So there was, there was nothing I could do. It was physical. It wasn't, it wasn't mental. Um, and, and then, um, before and after surgery, um, I, I got um, a, a therapy during that period of time to help me manage that that transition because that's a, a huge um, yeah transition and it was it was just kind of like kind of a support um, it was helpful but it didn't really you know change anything yeah, I'd say yeah. I, so I'm curious about your wife then and your family. I mean, gosh, that that was 15 minutes ago, and I'm like, okay, so see, lots <laughs> happened since we we left off in what 2006 or whatever. So give us a overview of what's your 
how was your family impacted by this and how did they receive it? Well, it's for, for Kristen, it was, it was like, it was a big shock. It was really hard. Um, she, um, it, it was because it wasn't just me transitioning. It was also her, right? Oh. Um, she was, was forced to, um, to look at her own identity at what, what it means for her to be a woman, mm. you know, and to really call this into question. Um, and, and I was really fortunate that, um, about the time that this all started happening, she started learning nonviolent communication. Hmm. And, and so we used a lot of that and, and we would have like, like, you know, just for a while, like in, in 2006, 2007, probably it was like this, this kind of daily thing, you know, get up and, and you know, how you doing today? Well, I'm okay. How are you? And yeah, do you think we'll be you know, should we get divorced? It's like, no, not, not yet. And I, I don't know, you know, <laughs> and, and dealing with this and it, it wasn't like just all easy. It was, it was really hard. There were a lot of times of, of like just, um, you know, crying on each other's shoulders and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but we stayed connected through it. You know, it's like, we were both committed to, um, to our kids um, to, to doing the best we could for them. Um, we were both committed to each other in the sense that, you know, we, we loved each other and, and, um, you know, even though we didn't know what would happen next and whether we would end up together or whether we would mm -hmm. split apart, mm -hmm. um, in the moment, um, life was better together. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and so we kept, we stayed with it and, and over time, um, really, um, I think did a lot of healing. Kristen, um, you know, 2009, 2008, 2009, um, we, we moved into different bedrooms. Okay. Um, stopped sleeping together. Um, um determined basically we're both heterosexual. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and we've been together, you know, so, so Chris and I have been together through all that, all that time. So you're still we're together. Still together. We're still together. Okay. And, and we are on the very cusp of, of, um, being empty nesters, right? So mm -hmm. our youngest is is in the process of moving out. He has a house. Yeah. Um, How did your kids hand, handle so, it all? Well, when it started, Sam was about three years old. Okay. And Trin was about six. So um, when we sat him down um, after Christmas 2006 to explain this, we we waited till after Christmas so we could have you know the holidays with with family without having this upheaval, and started explaining this to them. For Sam, it was like, oh okay, you know whatever, <laughs> and Trin was like, you know, he's like, okay, and he was really into science, so he explained. It's kind of like. Um, like clownfish, you know, clownfish that um, will will naturally change sex sometimes. Um, so he's like, okay, you, you got that, and then he kind of got this 
sad look on his face and and he's like um does this mean you won't wrestle with me anymore it's like no we'll still do that i'll still wrestle with you and he's like oh okay and and it's been fine you know um actually trin is is um my oldest is is visiting with us he's um just ended one job in california he's moving on to his next thing um but but (laughs) i mean i'd like to you know invite you to to ask him you know how how it was yeah but but um and and he'd be willing to talk with you i think um but but the next year after i transitioned probably must have been the summer of 2008 um I overheard him talking with his. He was he was playing with the, the neighbor from across the street, um, and we had a whole kid pack in our neighborhood. It was a great neighborhood for raising kids, and uh, so he's talking with his neighbor across the street, and his and, uh, his, his friend said, um, "Don't you miss having a dad?" Mm-hmm. And Trin was like, he responded right away, "No, I like her much better as a woman." Wow, that's a direct quote. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. I was like, "Huh, good." <laughs> <laughs> now I read online. First of all, thank you for being so just honest and open with your story. I mean, gosh, we're you know, a lot of these things are personal details that you're sharing freely, and I think mm-hmm. it's helpful for us to hear stories. But we don't like I don't have a right to your story, you know. So thank you for inviting me into it. Um, and I, I just. I'm just so sorry you had to battle that level of dysphoria and suicidality. It's just, I just, um, I just can't imagine what that was like. So, yeah. Um, And, and, you know, I think, I think it's important to note also that, um, like you mentioned in your book a number of times, quoting from from Mark Yarhouse, mm-hmm. if you know one transgender person, yeah. you know one transgender person. <laughs> um, yeah. So this this is my story, right? right? All I'm relating is is my own. And when we get into opinions and stuff, which I'm yeah. sure we will, um, you know, there's a, a a YouTube video out called "The Danger of a Single Story." Um, oh. it was by a Nigerian woman. I forget her name. Um, but I, I highly recommend that. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really important in this conversation is to remember that what I'm saying is, is my story, right? You know, right. what I'm saying applies to me. It doesn't necessarily apply to other transgender people. Yeah. That's, and that's helpful. one of the, yeah. And I, I feel like in this day and age, people do use, individual stories or even more anecdotal kind of things to make a more broader point. And that's just so problematic, especially in this conversation. I mean, I've, it's I've taken me a lot while to learn just that point, like every single story there's overlap in some stories, obviously, but everybody has so many unique features and it's hard to, um, yeah, take one story and, and <laughs> weaponize it or capitalize on it, you know? Um, gosh, I mean, I have so many questions. I, Oh, we haven't even <laughs> talked about faith. I mean, you're, you're oh, a yeah. Christian, right? I mean, raised in a church or right. are you in the church or are you still um, in the church? What's your faith journey look like? Well, I was, I was raised in Christian science church. Um, oh, okay. and we lived, we lived out in the, uh, out in the country, you know, 20 miles from town. So, the, you know, at least 25 miles from church, um, was not a regular church goer. I didn't really, um, I mean, I kind of 
took that in as sort of adopted it as, as, um, as, as a belief system, but I didn't really internalize it at all. It, it, it was not like, I didn't really have any understanding or commitment to it. Um, so in, in, you know, when I was 19, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I was really consciously, um, my intent was that, that I would, you know, this is how you become a man. This is like, I, I can become a man through the, through this. Um, I was always looking for those things from outside that yeah. would, would make me feel that inside, you know, try yeah. to validate this. And so I joined the Marine Corps to become a man. Um, and ended up, um, made a, a really good friend at, at this, um, specialized school in, in a, on a Navy base in Florida. Um, and, and my friend was really into drugs. Um, he, he was, you know, PCP, Quaaludes, you know, downers and barbiturates all, I mean, he was like pretty radical into him. He got me into him. Um, and so I got kicked out of that school, um, because it was, you know, it was, should have gotten a, a top secret clearance. And when they found out, you know, I got in trouble for doing drugs, um, and went to Camp Lejeune and in Camp Lejeune, I was, I had no friends. I knew nobody. I was like, so, um, isolated. It was, it was a, it was a really hard time. And, um, one time I was going through Jacksonville and ran across these, these folks from, uh, Grace Baptist church in, in, uh, Jacksonville. Okay. And, um, ended up having a conversation, ended up, um, September, 1980, <clears throat> um, uh, going down the Romans road to, <laughs> to salvation, accepting Jesus as my personal savior. Okay. And I didn't really take it in. Right. I mean, it was like, okay, this is, this is a, a thing, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like, it didn't make any super big difference in my life. Okay. Um, it was like, okay, I believe this. I'm, I'm convinced I'm going in this direction, but it didn't actually change anything. If that makes sense. Mm. Um, and then my friend got, um, kicked out of that same school down in Florida and came up to a different part of Camp Lejeune. So I met with him and, um, and one day he gave me um, a couple of hits of acid mm-hmm. and um, part of a gram of cocaine. Mm-hmm. And so um, on this one day, I was by myself and I took the acid. Mm-hmm. And when I started tripping, I snorted all the cocaine. And all of a sudden I heard this voice in my head as I'm starting, you know, starting to hallucinate and, 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 uh, see this, you know, kind of the, the vision. Um, I don't know. Have you ever done LSD? No, no. Smoke some weed. Okay. That's so, you it. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't really have a, an idea no, of no. how, how the, your, your vision kind of starts floating and, and things start, start really shifting. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty weird. Um, and, and 
I suddenly had this this voice in my head that said, "This is better than God." And and I immediately was like, "What? No, huh. this is wrong." And I rejected it just with everything I had. And and my my uh, the. I'm, I'm not going to say friends. The the people I'd been talking with at at Grace Baptist had given me a, a copy of the NIV hmm. uh, Bible. It was my first NIV Bible, and I just went and I grabbed that and opened it at random. Opened it to the story of of uh, um, Jacob's ladder and, hmm. and Jacob wrestling with the angel. And so I'm trying to read this, and the, the words are literally floating on the page, so it's really hard to read them. Hmm. But I'm just like, you know, in such a moment of of rejection of that voice and, hmm. and calling out to God, um, and had this really, really reaching with my whole heart hmm. for God. And all of a sudden, in, in just one moment to the next, I could see clearly. I was completely sober. And, and I just had this sense of this amazing love wow. and peace. It was, like, it was like I encountered Jesus in, in an amazing, powerful, and profound way that was completely undeniable. So you met um, God. You're and, trying, and, what you're trying to tell me is you met God <laughs> on an acid trip where you also took cocaine, and uh, that's that's where uh-huh. he met you. Um, listeners of Theology in Iran, we are not prescribing this as a way to encounter God. <laughs> I knew but, God prescribed this. But, but this is really important, Preston, yeah. because it was in my rejection of yeah. that that I found God. That is wild. It wasn't in doing it. It yeah. was in rejecting it. Wow, that, that, that is really important point. So many layers there. That's that's. So wait, wait, what, what, what year is that? That you said that this is back in the early eighties. That was nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Oh gosh. Okay, forty years ago. Forty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it it was a matter of me crying out, um, and and you know, and being saved. Yeah. It was. It was like. It was like that moment where where um where david realizes you know nathan comes in and confronts david about what he did with bathsheba and uriah mm. and and he's like oh my god you know mm-hmm. it was it was that moment of profound repentance wow wow so since then is the that instant instant yeah. healing of that trip it was like one moment I was tripping, the next moment I was completely sober. That's wild. I, I don't think I've heard a story yeah. quite like that before. That's wild. Um, <laughs> yeah, so your faith journey well, since it, then? It, it, um, so, so that really established for sure um, an undeniable um, belief in and faith in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, um <clears throat> From that moment on, I've I've never been able to deny the reality of a very present, real okay. God. Um, but over time, I kept running into these um, 
contradictions mm. and and an inability to um, to resolve the things that were going on with me um, through my faith. Um, so I, I went back and forth in, in, in a different number of different ways. Ended up by the, by the time um, I mean I, I went back to Christian Science for a while, mm -hmm. then rejected it. Tried different churches. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I I transitioned, um, I was basically unreligious. Okay. Um, about probably 2008, I'd reached the point where I was like, you know, I rejected religion. Yeah. I didn't reject God because mm -hmm. I, I knew that God was real. Um, but, but I couldn't, religion wasn't practical to me. It wasn't, it wasn't doing anything. Um, and, and I think a lot of it was just in, in the fact that a big part of Christianity is is integrity, right? It's mm -hmm. it's it's telling the truth, not only telling the truth to others, but telling the truth to yourself. Mm -hmm. And I was lying. I was lying to myself. I was lying to others. I was telling everybody, you know, I'm, I'm a man. You know, mm -hmm. I'm I'm presenting this way. I'm I'm like you know really pushing this narrative about who I am that isn't true, and and. I think because of that, um, I wasn't able to really um, stay faithful. Hmm. Um, so when 2006 came around, when, when, I, when I started transition, um, we had some really dear Christian friends. And, and it's like, we had this, this group, um, of, of like a uh, play group with my kids. Um, and one of our, well, how does this work with my faith journey? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think, I think we'll, we'll, leave that because that isn't important for that aspect. Um, but around 2009, I started having a sense, I'd, by that time I transitioned and, you know, I was, mm -hmm. I was like living as a woman full time. And, and I started really, um, missing, that spiritual life hmm. and and started reaching out and, and reading the Bible. Um, I, I, my, I was working downtown Eugene about a block away from the uh, Christian Science Reading Room, and I started going to the Christian Science Reading Room every day and having these conversations at lunchtime, having these conversations with the, with the librarian there, He's a really nice guy uh, named Richard, and, um, you know, had some, some really deep conversations about, about God and transgenderism and stuff mm -hmm. and, um, and started going back and, and started going to the Christian science church again. And, um, then in, uh, 2012, I started getting these anxiety attacks and, and at the time I was really, 
um, really unsure. Um, I didn't know what, you know, what was right from a spiritual perspective. Um, so in September, I'm trying to deal with all the, the, the Xanax and, and controlling these, these anxiety attacks. And in September, um, of 2012, I decided, okay, I need to get an answer from God. I need to resolve this. And I decided that, that I would read only the Bible Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I would pray and, and, you know, basically go on a fast, not a, not an eating fast, but, but spend all of my free time. The only thing I would do in my free time would be to pray and study the mm. Bible and and um, and that's it until I had an answer from God and you know at the same time trying to to yeah, work you know, keep up with the mm-hmm. help Kristen with the household and the kids and mm-hmm. and work you know I had the, I think I think I was still we were still a single earner family at that point. Mm. I forget exactly when Kristen started working outside the house again. Um, and and so I did that for three months, um, September, October, November. Um, and about halfway through December, I was sitting right here in this very chair <laughs> um, and, and praying so hard. And I, um, I just, you know, it was, it was like a point where I was like, um, total surrender. It was like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know whether it's, whether, whether it's the right thing to get surgery or not, whether it's the right thing to live as a woman or whether I should transition back and and live as a man. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just tell me what to do. God, tell me what's right. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll try, you know, even if it's like, um, going back and and is is probably the most intense prayer I'd ever had. Certainly the most intense, you know, since that trip <laughs> back in 1980. Um, and um, and and I hear this voice, and it said, "You are my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased." Mm. Small deep daughter. And and once again, I just feel the sense of love and peace. And I, I I that wasn't an answer, right? That didn't answer my question of what should I do. Hmm. But within a couple of weeks, I was like, that's all I'm gonna get. Hmm. I need to figure out what I'm gonna do. And and what I what I find really interesting about that is is that that the consequence of that moment completely broke my faith in Christian Science. Okay. Um, <clears throat> within I don't know not not very long after that I was like it's, mm-hmm. no it's not not for me. Yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay. And, and it really, I, I think, 
set me on a path to, I think, what you would call Orthodox Christianity. Okay. Um, probably the, you know, like, like in, in, uh, um, I think of, of the way it's described in mere Christianity, the C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. book. Okay. Um, are you and, part of a, are you part of a church or denomination now or? Um, I attend first Baptist church here in Eugene. Okay. Yeah. And really like it. Um, I, I don't identify as Baptist. Okay. Yeah. I, I identify as Christian. I've, yeah. I've, I've grown to be really wary about, um, about sex, about, you know, um, different, um, doctrines. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's not the right word. <laughs> yeah. Um, more, more, um, just is, is it following Jesus? Mm. I'm okay. Yeah. But, but, you know, uh, have you read Francis Chan's book Until Unity? I, <laughs> um, I have not read it yet. I'm I'm ashamed to say that because we we go, we go pretty far back, Francis, and I have not read his <laughs> latest book. So don't you got me red-handed. <laughs> My audience is going to crack up. I, rec- I, yeah, um, I recommend it. It's it's really good. You awesome. know, and but yeah. he talks about it there and like what is what is important and, and your, your podcast with Brian Zand not too long ago, you know, it talks about what's the foundation of our Mm -hmm. faith. The foundation of our faith is Jesus, right? right? It's not really the Bible. Yeah. I mean, the Bible talks about Jesus. It describes Jesus, but it's not the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so my religion is is my relationship with Jesus. Following Jesus, you know? yeah, 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 uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm cu- I am so curious. I, I really oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I, I don't really care whether you call that Baptist right. or or you know non-denominational or Presbyterian or whatever. Right, it doesn't matter. Uh, how are you received at church? I mean, that that's um, First Baptist Church, and you show up, and I mean, is that? <laughs> I really can't. I would love to call their pastors right now and say, "Hey, tell me about Seda." <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Talk to Ben Cross. Um, yeah, he's a really, really good pastor. I really like Pastor Ben. Hey, friends. Hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. And if you are enjoying this conversation and others like it, would you consider supporting the Theology in the Raw ministry by going to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. You can support the show for as little as five bucks a month and get access to lots of different kinds of premium content like monthly Patreon-only podcasts and blogs and Q&A sessions. Again, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw or all the info is in the show notes. I really like Pastor Ben. Um, yeah, they, well, here's, in, in, in your email, you wanted me to talk about how, how Christians yeah. have affected me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'll, I'll give you that story, um, which is actually, at this point, the, the faith story intertwines. Okay. Um, so when... We first transitioned. Um, Kristen took the job of coming out to our um, to a lot of our friends and neighbors. Um, she took it on herself in order to put a buffer between me and and a direct okay. um, response. Very sweet of her to do that. Um, 
And so we had this really dear Christian friends. Um, their kids were the same age as our kids. And, and you know, so there's, there's like this multi-layer friendship, our family, their family. Mm-hmm. And, and so she came out to, to these folks and, um, and they were like, bad. Hmm. We can't handle this. We, you know, this is wrong. Hmm. And, and we can no longer interact with you. We don't want to talk with you. Um, our kids can't interact with your kids anymore. So not only did, um, did I lose them as a friend? Um, and it was really, really painful. I grieved that, um, the loss of that relationship for, for years. Um, but also, um, my kids lost friends Mm. and, and I felt that was really, really unfair. Um, and, and, uh, um, blame them. I was very angry for, for a long time. Um, but also it, it made us really cautious. And, um, and I, I think Kristen kind of held it in for a while after that, um, where she could have, you know, really benefited from more support, um, from, from our network of friends. But we had another Christian friend, um, and, and it was like probably like a year and a half, two years later when Kristen was finally like, okay, I'm going to come out to this friend. You know, we, we can't keep hiding this. So, you know, we're going to have to. And, and was really, really scared that we were going to lose another, mm. another dear friend. And so she went for a walk with Tam one, one day. And, and um, as she's talking about this, Tam's like, but Kristen, God still loves her. Hmm. But Kristen, she's still a child of God. Wow. And and coming back with this stuff, you know. And, and at the end of it, um, I I met with with Tam and you know gave her a hug. Um. So turns out, ten years later, it's about two, 2018 or so. Um, Tam invites me to a women's Bible study at First Baptist. And I've been going to First Baptist ever since. Yeah, to a women's so, Bible study. What year was yeah. that? Uh, I think it was 2018. Um, so I, I might have yeah, been 27. I would love this. Is this is fascinating? Because I, I mean, I get most of my emails are from like pastors, and you know, they're like, "Hey, what do I do? I have a, a trans woman that showed up, or a trans man, and and or I just you know, I got an email from a church in Texas saying, we just found out one of our main Bible study leaders." used to be a woman or something, you know, whatever it was. And like, we didn't even know, like, what do we do now? Like, you know, all these. So I, I get it from that direction. And, and it, it, I guess it should be encouraging. Like, you know, they're, they're wrestling with what they believe and how to, how to include people in a set of beliefs and being consistent with that. But man, they're, they're agree or disagree with where they land there. I think the, the heart motivation behind about 90% of the emails I get from pastors are just, they're golden. They're like, we just, we want to be Jesus to, Everybody that walks through our doors, what does that look like? I'm like, you know, it's, I, I don't, <laughs> we can talk through it. And I don't, I don't know if I have all the magic answers, but, um, so it's fascinating to talk to somebody on the other side now, <laughs> the one who they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, but it's, what do we do? <laughs> um, is there, I mean, so I just have a, yeah, a bunch of questions. Is there, um, 
are there certain level, this is the question I get from pastors, like how, how deep can they, can they get in the church system? Can they serve? They, can they become a leader, an elder or whatever? Like, have you uh-huh. wrestled with that with your ministry team? Like you could attend a women's Bible study. I mean, could you lead one or is that even something you would aspire to do? Or have you even had that conversation? Can you become a member of the church? I mean, um, I, these are raw questions so, that I, I hope they're not like offensive. These are just real questions. No, no, asking, no, you know? yeah. no, not, not offensive at all. <laughs> um, and actually the membership question is really interesting because, um, when I first started going, um, they had a, a, a new paper out that was like, I think it's what would be considered non-affirming. Okay. Um, basically saying that, that we affirm that, you know, that, um, male and female as as, uh, distinct genders and, right. and the transition is not right. Um, and, but, but they listened, hmm. you know, um, which is cool. And so, you know, and, and I met with, with, uh, several of the pastors and, and had really, really good conversations. They never, you know, that, that it was like right from day one, um, I could go attend the, the women's, um, Bible study. I didn't come out all at once. It was more of a really slow, you know, okay, okay we're having this conversation and now it, it, it kind of comes out. Obviously my friend knew, right. right. And she was there with me. Um, and, and then, I, and then the leader knew as well. Okay. Um, so, so it's, it's like, I found a place to fit. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other women in the Bible study, they didn't could, have a, they didn't have an issue or I guess you said they, they didn't b- seem to, I mean, okay. you know, they, they took it in and, and right. maybe it's because I was there in, in front of them and yeah. they could, you know, yeah. interact with me and, and see me and stuff. Yeah. Um, and, but, but you know what, I, I couldn't become a member, you know, they wouldn't allow me to be a member. Okay. Um, so then it's really interesting because, um, this last, just this last year, I was like thinking about that and went back and, and wrote to my pastor, actually to the pastoral team and said, yeah, I want to be a member, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, I think the lead pastor was on vacation at the time. Um, but there was, there was something was like, or, or, and, and one of what the women's ministry pastor was, um, had some, some life stuff going on. Okay. They couldn't deal with it right now. So okay. like, wait a minute and, and we'll get back to you in, in a month or so. And in that period of time, um, I was looking at this stuff and, and, and seeing the way that our culture is shifting and the way that the transgender, mm-hmm. Um, debate is shifting and, and the, you know, this, the stuff with rapid onset gender dysphoria and, and stuff like that. And, and seeing this stuff and I'm going, man, this is more confused now <laughs> than it was 10 years ago. And it was pretty confused 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Now it's going off the rails. What does it mean for me to mm. become a member of this church? What is that? I mean, from, from the church perspective, um, what is that saying? And I was like, you know what? I, I don't 
want to be responsible for the consequences mm. of becoming a member and how that shifts the the internal working of the church and and how that affects members and how that affects our culture that's i mean this is so profound so, seda um I have I have friends who pastor churches or a friend who pastors a church in Eugene, not not at First Baptist, but yeah, he's you know, I think he said like one week, like three of his youth group came out as trans and and the rapid onset stuff. Like there's just a skyrocketing number of tr- teens um, coming out, and it doesn't. You could say this and probably get away with it. From my vantage point, it doesn't seem like their stories are similar to yours. Is how I maybe put it. Maybe there are. Maybe there are have the same kind of dysphoria you had and suicidality and everything. It just doesn't seem like that. Is is that what you're getting on? Like your story does seem to be quite different than many of the the teen stories I'm I'm hearing. Is is that? I mean, I'm so cautious with my words here. Or may, how about you? <laughs> what do you think about rapid onset gender dysphoria? And when you look at the culture, how it's affecting teens with the trans conversation, talk to us about that. It scares the crap out of me. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's 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 really hard. And I, I don't know that that I will be given necessarily any more uh, mercy than you. I might actually it might actually be, you know, worse for me to come out with this stuff. Um but what I used to, I used to work for this um, this nonprofit called Transponder. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a really wonderful organization here in Eugene that that um, serves the transgender community. But there was a point at which I kept running into these you know I I, I run into things like um, you can be trans and not, never have gender dysphoria. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well. How does that make sense? It's from my perspective, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm obviously I can only speak for myself, but but it was really uh, for me. I don't think that transgenderism is a healthy thing. Hmm. You know, I look at it and and I see you know biologically we have male and female. You know, I mean that's mm-hmm. those are those are biological core categories, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, without that, our species goes extinct, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's foundational. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that in so many ways, not only in culture, but also in biology. And, and so I don't, I don't, you know, I, I see this stuff about we have all these different genders, like demigirl and gray gender and 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 stuff like this. I'm like, wait a minute, we only have two biological categories, male and female. Mm-hmm. And gender relates to those. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. when I look at it, that's what I see. It's like gender exists in relation to sex. I mean, that's you know they they are 
inextricably entwined. Hmm. Now, yeah, in sex, you do have things that, um, you know, the occasional anomaly, hmm. like, um, um, what is it? Uh, intersex? Inter- yeah, yeah. yeah. Inter- I mean, there's there's a lot of different intersex right. conditions, you know, like, but like, like androgen insensitive syndrome, you know, like, like complete androgen insensitivity yeah. syndrome. Um, you have somebody who is, is genetically male, but their body develops as a female, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like a, a, looks like a female body. Well, um, I don't see anything biologically that would say that's impossible for gender. Hmm. Right. Um, but still, gender exists in relation even if even if gender is not man or woman and i'm I'm making a distinction here right yeah male female man woman um even if it's not man woman it still exists in relationship to man woman Hmm. i don't know no that's a good way of putting it yeah. Yeah. So going back to the teen thing, yeah, when he says yeah. it scares you to death, like, can you unpack that a little bit and help us? You know, I think you have more insight to helping us understand what, how can we get our arms around that aspect of the conversation? Because some people say it doesn't, some people say if you even mentioned, I mean, whenever I mentioned rapid onset, I don't say I get hate mail, but people are like, oh, junk science, you just think it's, I'm like, no, I didn't say, <laughs> to, to, to deny that, to me, the evidence is just, so overwhelming that at least in some cases, maybe a lot of specifically younger people that there is some, something in the social environment that is playing some role in influencing trans umbrella identities, you know, demi girl, non-binary and so on. I'm not saying it's all that (laughs) at all. (laughs) Your story is very different. Um, And in most (laughs) older trans people I talk to like yourself, I feel like they're the ones that are the most concerned because because they, they do have the lived experience. It's like this isn't the same thing, you know. Um, but my my main heart yeah, is I want to help. I don't want to get because some people just throw up their arms and get angry, right? What does Demi Girl yeah. mean anyway? What are all they're just on social media, you know? And that's not my motivation at all. My motivation is I think there is a population of troubled teens, oftentimes wrestling with lots of other mental health issues. Um, they're growing growing up in a society that's just I can imagine being a teenager today with this smartphone in my pocket at 13 like i i I don't i can't imagine um managing that um and so my it it is out of concern and compassion that i'm like man i i i want to help us understand you know this aspect of the conversation Uh, but it is it is yeah deeply concerning anyway i yeah i I, I think I I think the problem is that you can't know, Mm. right? There is no way that I know of to say this person is genuinely trans and this person is not. Right. Right. But I I think that what we need to start, what we as trans, what I would like to see um, is, is my transgender community start to bring in the experience of detransitioners such as Walt Heyer and, and Laura Perry. I don't know. Are you familiar with, I think you're familiar with Walt Heyer. No. Yeah. Um, no of them. Sex change regret. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Laura Perry has a, a, a website called uh, transgender transformed. Um, and I, I think it's really important because these people have important stories, right? 
they had really tragic things happen to them because mm. they were misdiagnosed as trans mm. and and then took transition treatments right so in in uh um, ryan anderson's book when harry became sally he talks about walt hire yeah. and and quotes walt hire as having a dissociative identity disorder which is different from gender dysphoria it's not the same thing right mm. so because of that uh, dissociative identity disorder, Walt ended up transitioning and lived as a trans woman for mm-hmm. eight years and then transitioned back. Um, and then, um, so in, in, in Laura's case, um, she had a lot of, I mean, if, if you, what I get from reading her testimony on her website and, and in, in conversation is that she had a lot of internalized misogyny associated with childhood trauma and and her relationship with her mom. And because of that, rejected her femininity and and determined that she was trans and transitioned. Um, She talks at one point about um, when she went to get... uh, um, a letter for hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, her therapist, after three meetings, was like, "You have some real mommy issues," and and she was like, "No, you know, mm. I'm not here for that. I'm oh. here to get a letter." And and then and so she got um, she transitioned and lived I, quite a period of time as as a man. But if when I read her testimony what i see now again this is my perception in reading it you know yeah is that right <laughs> who knows um but what i get from reading her 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 testimony is that she um transitioned because of this internalized misogyny mm-hmm. and then started to experience gender dysphoria mm which is what I would expect of someone who is not trans. Yeah. Because her description of what ended up happening after her transition was sounded like to me gender dysphoria. Mhm. Hmm. Wow. Um so then she transitioned back. Now the thing so so on the one hand I would like to see our transgender community actually deal with this in a more meaningful way like yeah detransition is an issue detransition is a problem we have people who are doing permanent change to their bodies and then coming back and say you know that was a really bad idea hmm. right hmm. on the flip side i would really like to see christians including christians like laura perry and walt hire say yeah i was never trans okay hmm. because what they're saying is I was transgender and I got healed from that or cured from that through my interactions with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I read their testimony. It's like, that wasn't transgender. Right. You were never transgender. Your experience was very, very, very different from mine. Mm-hmm. You experienced gender dysphoria after transition, not before transition. Wow. Before that, you had other issues. Okay, now, you know, in, in 
some of the the stuff that you relate about um, rapid onset gender dysphoria, you're talking about um, that that the people who have this, a lot of the 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 young people who who have this have other issues going on. I think those issues need to be addressed. Right. Right. Um, I mean, that's and, aside, aside from the trans conversation, if you're dealing with past trauma, ADHD or on the spectrum or whatever, or just, or you're just like, you go through COVID and you're lonely and isolated and just life is just, you know, like, <laughs> let's just set aside yeah. the trend. Let's just say, I mean, de- we need to deal with all these things and, and the, the thought right. that taking hormones is going to kind of solve all that. I think that that's. Almost across the board, what I'm seeing, especially from people who are detransitioning in their like early 20s, who might might fit the kind of rapid onset profile, um, almost unanimously, they're like, I had all these other issues, I didn't want to deal with them. Nobody else really forced me to deal with them, and I thought hormones was the answer. And you know, two years later, they're like, I still have all, I mean, I now have more issues, you know, um, right that right. I still haven't dealt yeah. with. Um, yeah. So I think. I think it's really, um, you know, important to deal with those. And, and I'm, I'm super, super grateful mm. that, that I got all that, um, therapy before I transitioned, mm. yeah. right? Because I dealt with that stuff. Right. That was really important for me. Um, and, and, um, lost my train of thought. I was yeah. going to say something, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh shoot. I, I'm curious if, w- would you make a cat? Do you think teenagers should ever transition or do you think it, it is that rare exception of somebody who might, um, basically, I mean, you were a teenager at one point, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, are, are you, are you really cautious with teenagers transitioning or would you say categorically they should wait until they're, <laughs> you know, I don't know if there's a certain age or. Yeah, I, I think I think that that when you're talking about transgenderism, going categorically with anything is, is right. dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, I look at my when I was a teenager, you know, I, I remember uh, dancing around and, and when I was alone at home uh, wearing a skirt, thinking, why would anyone ever want to, you know, wear anything else? You know, and and, <laughs> and so there's there's, you know, when I was a teenager had I known, I didn't even know that transgender existed. Okay. Right. So it wasn't a category. It wasn't a possibility in my mind. Had I known, had it, had I, you know, live now, I think it's very likely that, um, that, you know, I, I would have transitioned at point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that obviously I mean, it's different. Um, had, you know, had I been tracked on some kind of psychological profile, I probably would have fit into one of that 80% of kids or thereabouts that, um, that resolve their gender dysphoria Uh as they go into adulthood. Right. I would have, Mm -hmm. I would have been considered that. And that's one of the things that makes me cautious about that is yeah, I would have at that point because I rejected so completely uh, my femininity and and mm. and you know my identity um, as being anything other than a man um, in in going on and trying so hard to become a man. Um, 
but then that came back to bite me in my 40s right because all of a sudden i couldn't i couldn't deal with the gender dysphoria Mm -hmm. anymore well it wasn't all of a sudden it was more like gradually (laughs) but but it it accumulated to that point um so so you know um on the one hand I, i it seems that that um that statistic and 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 i think it's really dangerous to get hung up on statistics okay yeah um because statistics are not humans right right Right. and you can you can prove a lot of different things with them including using the same statistics to prove opposite things um but but in you know assuming the accuracy of that statistic that 80 percent or so of kids with gender dysphoria are going to naturally resolve it seems really dangerous to start giving you know puberty blockers to those people yeah yeah at the same time you see people like jazz jennings or nicole mains um and and people, you know, kids who are from the earliest age, insistent, persistent, consistently mm-hmm. um, presenting as as the sex opposite to what their, you know, biological sex is. And boy, it seems like it was a good idea for them to transition. Hmm. I have a friend, a trans man, who who talks about, you know, when when he was a kid and. And at one point um, in in grade school, you know, they line up to go in from recess, boys and girls, and he lines up with the boys and he's passing as a boy and he's like right there with the boys. Mm -hmm. And and for him, it was tremendously traumatic to uh, be forced to wear a dress and Mm -hmm. and to, you know, go back to school because it's parents found out about it and forced him to do that. Um, his dad was actually a, a pastor. Um, yeah. and, and the last time I talked with him, he's like, you know, I mean, he sincerely believes that God hates him Wow. Yeah. on a personal level, you know, and, and to me, you know, God is love. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's a problem. So, so again, it's like, okay, how do you navigate this? And I don't know. Hmm. It's tough. It's a complicated conversation. Um, <laughs> I, I'm curious, and I, I love that you're just so chill and honest, and don't get offended. Or whatever. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, there's, you know, I'm gonna ask a question and and acknowledge that it's very, you know, it's a controversial concept. But the concept of autogenophilia does your story resonate with that at all? I'm assuming you know. Um, okay. Yeah. What do you think about that? Like, is that that category? Do you think it's? Do you know people that do experience? I've got a few friends that would very when they read about it like that. Yep, I absolutely struggle with that. Um, um, mm. and I know it's very uh, Julia Serrano. Not a huge fan. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and yet when I read her story, when I read some of her stuff, and then I read kind of stories of other people who would experience this, it's I'm like. Well, it does sound like that, but like, I can't, I'm not going to say like, no, it is you, you know, they're saying it's not, but, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to get my arms around the concept. And so, so it doesn't, that doesn't resonate with you at all. 
yeah. it doesn't really resonate with me at all. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, what can I say about it? You know, yeah. it's, it's, I would say that, it, um, that that doesn't apply to me. Okay. Um, but I can't really say, I mean, you know, one of the things I keep coming back to is, is first Samuel 16, seven, I think it is, you know, um, Saul is, is, you know, um, the, the, um, Jesse's kids are, are mm-hmm. coming forth and, you know, one of them, he knows that one of them is, is going to be the next King, right? He sees this one, he's like tall and mm-hmm. tough and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, nope, not him. Nope, not him. And, and, and then, um, uh, what is it? It says, um, God looks at the, God looks at the heart one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So I, I keep in mind when I'm looking at other people, whether it's autogynophilia or rapid onset gender dysphoria or whatever, I'm looking at the outward appearance. Yeah. Right. All I can see is the outward appearance. I can make guesses based on the outward appearance. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, because God looks at the heart. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, when, when I look at how a lot of Christians, especially Orthodox Christians look at me, I think, yeah, you're looking at the outward appearance, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You're not looking at the heart. Mm you not seeing me as a whole person. Um, you know, and it's, it's like there's this image of Caitlyn Jenner superimposed in front of me <laughs> and that's all you need to know. Uh, right. But that's uh, not me, you right, know? Yeah. And, and you really don't know Caitlyn Jenner either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so, I mean, it's, we're so prone more than ever in the last couple of years, right. To take our favorite, news outlet, political pundit, dare I even say podcaster as kind of the lens through which you view all these issues, you know, and then they become just issues, debate points, political things rather than individual stories, you know, so I, I, and I guess we're all prone to that, especially once, you know, COVID hits, we're all isolated. So our whole world is just kind of online and everybody's grabbing for our attention with clickbait titles to get us riled up. It's just, it's, it's disaster. And the trans conversation is just right smack dab in the middle of that. And yeah, that's a, uh, I, I'm just, I'm really touched that you've had a good experience at first Baptist. Really? That's me too. It sounds like you're okay with, I mean, Hey, I'm, we might not line up on everything. We might have disagreement, but you're humanized. You're listened to. It sounds like they're trying to understand your story and you as a person. And, and you know, that's yeah. 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 And it's, it's really, it's really amazing, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I think one of the things that, that, that Christians might miss is how incredibly precious it is mm-hmm. to to be able to stand up and sing praises to Jesus in a corporate setting Mm -hmm. with all these other people, when for a long time you've been felt like it was not Mm -hmm. safe, that you didn't have a place at church. 
that that you needed to hold your faith tight inside because because for me part of my faith journey has has been you know from from like when experiencing that that rejection when i was when i first transitioned um up until i started going started really reaching out to to christian churches it was like I didn't go to church because I was scared. I didn't feel welcome. So I would hold my faith inside. And I didn't share my faith with my trans community because really they've been wounded. You know, I mean, I keep, I, I, when I was uh, facilitating support groups for Transponder, I would hear again and again these stories of, yeah, I came out to my dad. It didn't go well, mm-hmm. you know, um, he, he led into me and we're not talking now. Um, and, and, you know, other family members and, and losing church, losing faith community came out to my pastor and he's like, you know, we don't want your kind around here. Um, so, so it's like almost every, person I'm talking with has a first person story of rejection by Christian. And, and so it, it's not like, you know, you come on, yeah, I, I love Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's not the kind of place where that's really going to come, you know, really going to land very well. Um, and, and so, you know, I was really, really tentative about talking about that. And, 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 you know, when I, kind of introduced it for the most part it's like mm-hmm. kind of fell flat not mm-hmm. in the sense of you know like you're bad but mm-hmm. in the sense of really not interested yeah mm-hmm. that's 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 your stuff you know <laughs> fine yeah but you know don't 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 put that stuff on me yeah um Wow. You know, and then, then you go to a, a, a Christian community and it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's like this, the, the, on the one community, you know, that, that I belong to inherently, it's like coming out as a Christian is, is, can be really fraught, you know? And, and on the other hand, I go to the other community that I really, really belong to. And it's like coming out as trans, it's really fraught, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so... <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a um a conservative uh p- commentator I listened to uh, uh Dave Rubin who used to be very progressive and liberal he's a gay man married to a man um, not a religious person although he's getting more in touch with his Jewish roots recently but um he said coming out as conservative was way more scary than coming out as gay. <laughs> he, his, I mean, his, I mean, I, 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 to me, he's honestly way too conservative for my taste. I, I, I listen to him. He's entertaining. He gives me another perspective, whatever. Um, but he's way too political for my whatever. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was. <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, I was in a, con- I was in a community where, like, yeah, to, to admit that you, I think I'm leaning more to the right now. People were like, they can't handle that, you know, in in his context at least. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got several. I mean, many friends who would be LGBTQ, and yet more theologically 
conservative and they often tell me, you know, I feel like I'm not Christian enough for the church and not gay enough for the gay community. So I just always feel like I'm <laughs> on the fence somewhere, you know, yeah. and that's just so sad. Like, especially when they say, I don't feel here they are, you know, many of them are pursuing celibacy because they don't think it's right to engage in a same sex relationship. And to me, that's like, that, that sounds like the epitome of faithfulness. You, you are picking up a very, very heavy cross and denying a yeah. serious aspect of yourself. And you're not Christian enough? Like, people are making you feel like you're not Christian enough? Then I'm definitely out. Like, what? <laughs> and yeah, why do, I, why do I get a free pass? I can waltz in any church and with all my yeah. junk. And it's like, no, nah, it's fine. You know, that's just yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, and, and that's... That actually, that's an observation that I can make, right? Is 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 that um, before I transitioned, as you know, with with all my substance abuse issues and 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 you know, sin out the wazoo, I had no problem going to any church, and and I'm just fine. It's like, okay, now I transition, and I'm living a life that mm -hmm. that you know, outside of transition, is so much more in alignment with with everything in Scripture. Mm -hmm. But now it's like that single story, right? That single aspect is like my whole um, journey, my whole personality everything about me is judged on that single story right mm -hmm. oh you're mm -hmm. trans you know you're yeah. you're like you know well we know about caitlin jenner what else do we need to know, you know? <laughs> oh caitlin <laughs> uh caitlin's running for governor today i think is this is that today is the recall today i, mean, I don't think recalls today but you know but but you know <laughs> Caitlin is who Caitlin is and, and, you know, um, but, but I, you know, I wish that, you know, every time, almost every, every, almost every Christian book about transgenderism talks about Caitlin Jenner, you know, she's, she's featured pretty made in a pretty major way. Most of them also talk about trans, uh, detransitioners. Okay. Nobody talks about Lynn Conway, right? Nobody talks about Cass April. <laughs> Nobody talks about Aiden Dowling. Nobody talks about uh, Jennifer Lethem. Nobody talks about Laura Jane Grace. Nobody talks about Kristen Beck. You know, it's like. Can you unpack that why? for people that don't know who those names are? What, what, do, you, what do you. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are you getting at? I'm, I'm going to have to go to work pretty soon. So I, I don't know how much unpacking I can do right now. I do too. So let's, <laughs> let's, we'll round it out with this. So, <laughs> but, um, um, so, uh, Kristen Beck was a, uh, a Navy seal who, uh, wrote a book called warrior princess. Um, so, um, read the book. <laughs> warrior princess. Um, yeah. Um, Let's see. Laura Jane Grace is the lead singer for Against Me, a, a punk band. Um, she's, you know, transitioned. She wrote a book called Tranny. Um, uh, Jan Morris is another one, wrote a book called Conundrum. Almost never hear about her. Um, Jennifer Lethem is a, is a jazz musician um, who... You know, I don't know when she transitioned, but but she's she's a trans woman. Uh, the, the, the I guess my question is the the common fe feature is these are all people who transition. They're happy post transition. They're living a life 
um, as a different gender. Right. 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 Okay. Yeah. Like Cass Averill is, is the founder and president of, of Transponder. Um, Aiden Dowling, um, is, is, uh, he was featured, he was the first trans man featured on men's, on the cover of men's magazine. Um, Bucket, would you put Buck Angel in that category too? Buck Angel? I don't know Buck Angel. Buck Angel. Uh, trans woman, um, uh, was the first trans woman adult performer, porn star, um, uh no no not trans I'm so sorry trans man um trans man and and uh very outspoken just uh yeah he uh Buck was on I forget what else he does he kind of does a lot of different stuff yeah look him up Buck Angel you, you would so it sounds like Buck would fit very much in the category of people you're you're identifying um yeah. right Lynn Lynn Conway um was uh um worked on a lot of the the architect architecture of the um of the pc um she worked for um uh, she wrote a book that was used for years in in uh teaching computer um computer science okay um or, or programming um she she was actually in darpa um the the department of defense okay um team that that helped create the internet um wow. yeah she's she's like she's like big stuff yeah um, oh i have really i've heard of her no i've heard of her yeah 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 very very well off right i mean very uh, very successful person right yeah very successful person yeah although although after um she transitioned and she was fired she lost her family you know she was like she was basically at the point of destitution when when wow. uh was it xerox hired her okay well okay. i think so yeah well i do have to go and you got to go say to so uh I there's do. we have Presley, so much more to talk I, about I just, but yeah yeah <laughs> i i just want to put in one more one more plug for christians to stop using the term transgender ideology okay um because because that that term really has you know it's it's used to say that um to to have to make a political statement that um that that my identity is not valid okay um and and that that basically um that i transition because of a philosophical um ideology okay that has no meaning for me okay there is nothing i can connect to there okay i transitioned because gender dysphoria was intolerable because i could not keep going so regardless of what i believe whether it's right or wrong or whether it's an ideology or not it has no meaning for me Mm -hmm. but when people use the term transgender ideology what i hear is I'm not the least bit interested in your story, mm. but what I am interested in is taking political action to limit your ability to function in society. That's what transgender ideology means to me. So if you can do anything to yeah. encourage Christians to find a different way to talk about that, you know, yeah. gender deconstruction or, or something like that, 
and not transgender ideology. Yeah. I'd appreciate it. I thank you for that. That's super helpful. I try really hard. I'm always on a journey to avoid any kind of term that's just sweeping. That just is too, way too broad. So I, I think I have used the phrase, um, you know, the, the ideology, well, yeah, the ideology that is being promoted by some trans activists is maybe how I might say something, um, is that even that doesn't help humanize it. It does identify that there is a thing out there that is a way of thinking that is being kind of forced on everybody. And if you don't believe this, then you're a transphobe or whatever. I'm like, I don't think that's helpful. Um, and I do think, what is the thing that's trickling down and influencing some of the teens we talked about earlier? You know, like that, I do need to name that because I don't think it's helpful. And I think it's hurting people who, are, in your words, are being misdiagnosed, you know. Um, but yeah. no, I, but I'm totally with you on just that sweeping transgender idea. It's like, I know loads of trans people who don't have the ideology that people are yeah. frustrated at. You know, just like, but, but yet when you use that, you're putting that on me. Yes. Yeah. Right? You're saying I adhere to this transgender ideology and I don't even know what it is in the first place. <laughs> and the different definitions I've yeah. seen of it, they're not all the same. Right. Um, I'm like, well, okay, so it's somebody who, who wants to support hu human rights for trans people. Sign me up. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm here for human rights for all people. Right. right? That's as, as a Christian. To me, that's one of the things that is my duty, right? I have an obligation to to uphold the human rights of all people, whether they're trans or not. So yeah, or um, someone who believes then in, in the essence of of a person can be different from their sex. Well, it's like oh, I don't even know how to relate to that. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. is that me? I I. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I can't relate to it. It doesn't really make sense to me in a way that I, that, that is practical for me yeah. in any sense at all. Yeah. Well, Seda, thank all you right. so much for the <laughs> awesome conversation. Thank you for your humility and vulnerability. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great getting to know you more. Yeah. And yeah. thank you, Preston, for, yeah. you know, for actually wanting to get to know me as a person yeah. instead of just yeah. putting that image of, of Caitlyn Jenner in front of my face. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. Seriously, this has, been, this has been loads of fun. So yeah, God bless. Right. God bless you.